Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and today we get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, respect or disrespect, which is one of the words that we hear so often from parents of highly sensitive children and, and teenagers who are stuck in that meltdown cycle and uh, the shutdown and refusal cycle. So if you are wondering how to help your child demonstrate respectful behavior, if you feel frustrated, aggravated, or like you're pulling your hair out on a daily basis because you are just listening to your kid and thinking wide-eyed, how the heck is this coming out of their mouth? then stay tuned. We're here to talk all about how to support your sensitive child in communicating effectively. So let's talk about what we're, we're here for, right? We at MTC help parents of highly sensitive children eliminate the meltdown cycle in as little as eight weeks when your child is experiencing daily meltdowns, meltdowns on a regular basis, multiple times a week, even multiple times a day. Uh, This is a cycle that absolutely can be eliminated. And when we think about the challenge that your highly sensitive child is struggling with in this experience, that behavior might be uh, screaming, yelling, right? Uh, Hitting, running away from, from you when you're giving directions. We're going to talk about the the perception that your child's disrespecting you. So we'll talk about that ki- that kind of behavior, right? If you're telling your child to do something and they're not doing it, they're screaming at you, "No, I won't, never," or they're ignoring you, right? And this this runs the gamut from children who are ages four all the way up to high school age. The behavior might look differently, uh, but if the behavior is frequently happening daily, multiple times a day, even multiple times a week then it's still the same cycle, whether your child is shutting down, running away, um, you know, up to their room, just completely not able to stay engaged in a conversation, especially when you're holding a limit, or they are on their screens for your older kids, et cetera, and you're having a hard time with them following through on your expectations in a way that that keeps the relationship healthy. This is important for, for us to cover today. Now, first and foremost, uh, one thing that we hear so often when, when we talk to parents directly is that my child does, doesn't understand that what they're saying to me is disrespectful. And I need my child to be able to have healthy communication patterns. And I think it's really important for us to understand uh, together and for us to make, uh, make one thing clear that when your child is experiencing big emotions, they are not able to regulate the words that are coming out of their mouth. So what does that mean? Your child doesn't actually have a problem with disrespect. What? I know, mind blowing. Now, depending on on how you're finding me, this might be the first time that you're hearing this, but uh, in in terms of listening to this show, we're gonna, I'm going to say something that I say to my clients all the time. No one can disrespect you without your consent. 
I'll say that again. No one can disrespect you without your consent. And so this is really important when we think about what actually works to break out of the meltdown cycle, and we'll get to that later. But when we think about where you are coming from as a parent, your perspective is that your child is speaking to you in a way that is disrespectful, right? Rude, mean, etc. Guess what, guys? Those are all judgments. The actual behavior you're hearing from your kid is ineffective, absolutely. It's not going to help them keep a healthy relationship with you. But we have to look beyond that behavior and we have to figure out why your child is doing that behavior in the first place. And there are some pretty key roots that can all be tackled in the same way. And this is important because when you as a parent are directly reacting to that behavior and you're labeling it as disrespectful, you are actually shooting yourself in the foot. This is really important to understand because as traditional parents, um, you know, if we were all, we were, most of us were raised in traditional parenting households. Um, where spanking might have been common or timeouts might have been common or um, uh, yelling might have been common, my way or the highway attitude, uh, soap in the mouth even uh, could have been relevant for you or, or, or you know, as a child. And it's important to understand that that, that perspective, um, you know, our parents were doing the best that they could with the information that they had and they were probably doing better than their parents did in terms of frequency of, of how often they spanked or, or anything like that. I know my parents did better than their parents in that respect. Um, with that being said, none of that is effective for children at all. Corporal punishment doesn't work. It never teaches a child to do uh, a behavior that you want them to do. It actually just perpetuates shame, perpetuates frustration in the family, and perpetuates disconnect. Why is that important? Because a child wants to feel connected to their parents in order to feel safe in their home, they need that. And uh, in order to feel capable of solving their problems, they need to feel capable of reaching out to those who guide them. You can't hit your kid and then want them to come back to you when they're stressed, right? Those two things are counterproductive. So, uh, you know, you've heard me speak about why punishment is ineffective, and especially I touch on corporal punishment, but there's a pretty clear understanding that, that we need to be on the same page. If you're going to listen to me, um, you can't be justifying corporal punishment. We won't be having that conversation here because I just simply am not going to have that, um, that argument. It's pretty clear consistently the American Academy of Pediatrics and all parenting coaches um, uh, are, you know, who, who know anything and, and childhood experts, child development experts are all uh, saying the same thing, that hurting children has nothing to do with leading children, it has everything to do with your need for over control and um, your misguided beliefs of how children learn. And so aside from that, it's important for us to cover f how even you know when choosing not to spank your children, your belief that they are doing something to you when they speak to you is keeping you stuck. And uh, that's really important because if you take your child's behavior personally and you take personal offense to your child's behavior, then that's going to keep you stuck in leading them, right? If you're offended by your child's behavior, you won't be able to see how to lead them out of that behavior. A good leader sees the potential even when the child is not acting up to that potential. Think about it from a work perspective, right? If you were performing at your least quality, um, you wouldn't want your boss to say, well, that's just who you are right and lead you from that place of don't you ever do that again right because what is that going to do it's just going to put you in a position of feeling like you just can't measure up and that you'll never reach but you know a good leader sees the potential sees the capacity for a child and in, in the parent relationship and as parents we're leaders of our children and in that experience 
you can't stuff your kid into a box mentally or physically. Um, that was tongue in cheek. Hopefully you got that. But, um, but mentally in the sense that, that you're expecting your child to, um, to, to change their behavior when you're highlighting the ineffective behavior that you, that you don't want to keep seeing and you're guiding them through, uh, through, through behavior change strategies with the expectation um, that, that, that they are this kind of kid. They are a disrespectful kid, if you will. So let's, let's cover this, okay? Now let's talk about this from a, from a stance of, of less um, pejorative labels, like less um, damning labels, right? Might, one might come across the word strong-willed. Uh, so, so we'll cover that today. Now obviously my expertise in, is in parenting highly sensitive children and that's a personality trait that's been found in over a hundred different species. The, the four components of the trait is not just a human uh, human con condition, if you will, a human experience, if you will. That's probably a better word. Um, and so with that being said, it's important for us to, to understand that the personality trait has been found in uh, and discussed in psychological research and psychological work for over 100 years. Um, Strong-willed, on the other hand, has been a fad in, um, and is not often researched because it's, it's, it's not... Um, uh, it's not categorizable. That's probably, I probably pronounced that word different. Uh, I could have pronounced that word differently. Eh, I'm not going to try. <laughs> Hopefully you get what I'm saying. Um, and, and because it, it hasn't been measurable, it's not measurable. That's a better word. Okay. Um, and, and it's important for us to understand the difference between looking at the highly sensitive personality trait um, that has been researched uh, specifically since the 90s, but more broadly since the 1920s. Uh, sorry, 1990s. I should I, I, you know, since we're in the, the the 2000s now, I need to make sure I remember to say that stuff. Um, and so, in, in the 1920s, Carl Jung started speaking about sensitive personality, sensitive temperament, and uh, he's a pretty famous psychologist. And then Elaine Aron uh, coined the term in the 1990s. With that being said. Marsha Linehan started her research on uh, sensitive people who had pretty significant mental illness. And she, while she didn't coin a term, she did coin uh, the theory behind it and the only specific treatment designed to support sensitive people with chronic su suicidal thoughts and chronic self-harm and chronic suicidal actions, which is DBT. And so when we think about all of that work and all of the components uh, that goes into understanding the highly sensitive personality trait. And then we try to uh, cross compare it to a perception of a child being strong-willed. Um, the labels just don't measure up. You know, the, the, the strong-willed label uh, isn't a, isn't a well-researched label and puts your kid in a position where, um, again, where you're putting them in, in um, a weakness-based label, all right? Why, why am I saying that? When the word is strong <laughs> compared to highly sensitive, or one might say sensitive has a negative connotation. We'll cover that in a second. Um, the highly sensitive personality trait has four components. So when we think about this in terms of the, the components, all of those co components are, um, you, you can find the strengths related to that. And when you understand the personality trait, it's actually very easy to not see it as a weakness. But you gotta understand the trait. 
So um, the depth of processing, obviously if you can process things deeply, then it's easier for you to come to very thorough conclusions. Um, if you are emotionally responsive, then you're more emotionally in tune and we need more people in the world who are more emotionally in tune. Um, and then if, if you are um, easily overstimulated, one would assume that, that you can pin up, pinpoint uh, sensory stimuli and, and, um, and observe differences in sensations. Um, that you can actually enjoy. So a sommelier uh, might benefit from being highly sensitive so they can taste all the wine, right? Um, I'm trying to think, that's probably the only career I know that's like super specific related to smell and taste off the top of my tongue. Uh, but obviously a chef would be a, another great example of somebody who would benefit from that, um, from having the trait and, and, and that could be, um, could be a fantastic sensory intense uh, position that that someone with that strength could actually create um, a world of delicious recipes um, and then when we think about the other sensitivities and sensitivity to subtleties uh, again that goes back to being detail oriented and being very effective at noticing things that other people don't notice and uh, that puts you in a position to to um, to excel in your career, depending on the career that you choose and the career that you feel comfortable advocating for your own needs in. And, um, and so when we look at those four components, those four components are things that most people, when we, when we see it that way, um, are able to observe, they can be, uh, they can be great in, in, and desirable. Um, with that being said, highly sensitive people who are stuck in the meltdown cycle and were stuck in their childhood, um, might have uh, been able to figure out their own way out of meltdowns in, into adolescence and, and adulthood, but at best are likely developed into people-pleasing workaholics. Uh, at worst, like I said, um, if they haven't broke, if they never broke out of the meltdown cycle, uh, they engage in suicidal, self-harming, risky behaviors, alcoholism, drug use, etc. Um, the odds are not in the highly sensitive person's favor especially if they grow up in an invalidating environment. And uh, Marsha Linehan's research is the one who, who uh, speaks to that more clearly because she specifically studies highly sensitive people with mental health disorders um, compared to Elaine Aaron who studies highly sensitive people um, per parent report or per people's reports. So uh, those people may or may not have uh, ever sought mental health treatment themselves. So it's important to understand where the research is coming from when you look at the odds and um, uh, the trajectory of a highly sensitive person. Uh, and uh, Elaine, uh, sorry, Marsha Linehan's research specific specifically speaks to the um, number one impactful factor uh, on a hi highly sensitive child's life and their ability to build skills, and that is the validating environment. So guess what guys if you're calling your kid disrespectful is that validating no it's really important to understand that it's not just your choice of the word it's your perception of your kids capabilities that is keeping them stuck in this possibility because your perception of your kids capabilities can actually enable them to stay stuck in this ineffective behavior that is more focused on fighting the world and fighting for their for their um, their experiences and, and fighting for to be heard and uh, not doing that in, in a way that, that keeps relationships, um, that, can, that can also be pretty damaging, right, in the household. And, and you need to know how you as a parent are contributing to that factor. 
Um, so, you know, when we hear parents say, you know, my kid will either be the president of the world or the president of a prison gang, I've got news for you. If your kid's highly sensitive and they're, they're behaving in this way, it's highly unlikely they'll be either because you can't lead anybody if you are emotionally dysregulated and you can't manage your emotions. No one's going to trust you. You'll be unpredictable. And as much as one would say a prison, uh, you know, a president of a prison gang, um, someone would be, um, you know, there's not a lot of trust in that experience either. But quite frankly, if you're emotionally volatile, you have to be organized. I've worked with juvenile offenders in gangs. So, um, you know, there's, there's a certain level of calculation that goes into gang leaders compared to uh, gang followers and volatile people aren't, they, they, they actually are seen as higher liability. They don't end up becoming presidents of those prison gangs. Um, and, and so I, I'm joking, uh, obviously we don't want our children to aspire for that, um, that terribly tra tragic history and, and, and um, future, I, I should say. But with that being said, it's important for you to understand that um, the flip side is also true. You know, if you think that your child is 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 just born to, to fight and, um, and and is either going to fight for the what's right or fight for what's wrong, um, and and that's your perspective. You know, president of prison gang or president of the uh, of the of the United States, um, or, or you know whatever country you're in. Um, that that dichotomy is actually ineffective to you know to to label for a highly sensitive child who is stuck in fight mode because um, you you know same thing you can't run the world if you're emotionally volatile you won't be able to maintain consistency and policy follow through <laughs> um, not to say that politicians do a great job of that but that's not either here nor there uh, you need to be organized you need to be emotionally regulated i mean politicians definitely are effective at, at emotionally regulating in the sense that they can uh they can turn it off or turn it on right and and that's a skill um one might assume but obviously you, you gotta you need to use it for for good um and and uh for good in the world and a highly sensitive child who grows up with with some leadership skills you know you might see that they're they are passionate in their in their experiences um, if they can't organize themselves enough to be, um, uh, to, to, you know, or, and I say emotionally organized, not, not, I'm not talking about, um, you know, follow through on just homework organization, keep their backpacks clean, stuff like that. I'm talking about being able to compose yourself and speak clearly and speak, speak in a way that, that allows your, um, your points to become, to come across in, in a concise way. And you would look at this at a developmentally appropriate level, obviously seven year old's not going to go um, uh, not going to go, um, you know, compete in a college debate, right? But if if your seven year old is not able to speak passionately about something without losing their mind, um, then you would then you would observe that that intensity is actually a pretty clear sign uh, that they're dysregulated in that experience. They are in fight mode. They are fighting like you are the bear, and and um, and and they need to they need to buck up. Um, and that's obviously clearly ineffective because you are, are your child's lifeline and it's, um, it's counterproductive for, your child, for a child to fight with their parents. Um, and, and so when we think about the, the experience of a child who feels like the only way they can get what they need is to engage in arguments, um, it, it, it's really important to understand that your child is suffering in that. Um, that level of, of um, passion it is very important for you to observe how to influence that skill so that it doesn't stick as their their main personality trait 
um, that you observe. And, and it's really important for you as a parent to understand how to change that in, with your child and how to influence your child's development in that way. Because one of the things that we see so often when parents are trying to, um, to shift this behavior is they swing. They swing from um, just complete, you know what, honey, I can't get you to do anything anyways. So I might as well just ask your permission for us to follow through on anything on a daily basis. Do you want to go here? Do you want to go there? Asking all kinds of questions. And that puts you in a passive role and your kid in charge and no kid feels safe if they're in charge of their parent. Or we swing all the way to the other end of it, which is just my way or the highway, right? So doing everything but spanking as a parent, yelling, um, you know, taking things away, having these conversations with your child that, that they can't talk to you like that. Um, any sort of lecturing involved, none of that actually works, but it's an experience for you as a parent to try to add control, right? So if you've got a president of a prison gang in your household and this is how you're perceiving your child, then you start working, uh, working, working the, the, the yard like a prison uh, guard, right? Does that work though? No, but, and you know it, you know it's counterproductive, it also feels crappy. <laughs> Uh, as a parent, you know, you've got to hold that tension and hold that intensity of, of uh, my way or the highway. And, and there's only so long you can actually hold that in and, and hold the line in a, in a way where you don't lose it um, before you lose it or, or you throw up your hands, right? And so then we swing all the way back to the passivity uh, dichotomy here. So what's important to understand in this whole experience for you as a parent is that none of that actually works <gasps> what okay so let's cover what does right but the other thing that i want to do um you know we talked we talked about over control we talk about under control okay um and that's this is all it with the assumption and perception that if you control your child they will be able to control themselves none of that works um, so other people might say, well, you know what, your kid just needs clear and concise boundaries because if they're quote unquote strong-willed or quote unquote disrespectful, then they need to understand that no means no and yes means yes and there's no wiggle room. And, um, and, and so more traditional books that use the label strong-willed might be um, a higher proponent of that. But guess what? The world doesn't work like that. You know, your kid's gonna learn when they're 16 that they can actually speed through a yellow light and when it turns red, like right on the line and they won't get a ticket. Um, and and that, that confusion for them when they grow up in a household that you maybe changed by the time they were eight, um, you know, for the next eight years, eight to 16, they start to realize, ooh, the world actually has more wiggle room than my parenting experience. Uh, they start to experience the world with zero skill in, in the gray area. So um, that's really important to observe that, that you can't go into rigidity in any way when your child is expressing uh, their needs in a rigid way. You can't match that. You have to move around that. Um, and then the other component around this is, is related to, um, uh, to collaborative communication. And so if we think about um, parents who are constantly engaging in negotiations with their children, uh, this just is tiring in, 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 you know, with the perspective that that's the middle ground too. Um, newsflash it's not but it's not the middle ground but um, one might one might assume right okay if I'm gonna if I'm not gonna let my kid run the show and tiptoe around eggshells and in, in the house then maybe I could hear my kid out and we could have a conversation and I could tell them why I need to see this them do this and they can tell me why they need to see me do this and then we have family meetings and sometimes it turns into a debate and we have a, a talking stick that we pass around so to make sure they hear me 
And like, what is that, right? Um, talk about a headache just to get your kid to go to school on time or just to get your kid to, to follow through on, um, on, on screen time um, parameters in the house, right? Uh, that also is really ineffective. Um, and, and just uh, inefficient, I guess is the, be the best way to say. Um, because at that point, you're teaching your child how to collaborative, collaboratively negotiate. And sometimes in parenting and in life, they need to learn how to handle disappointment. No means no, and that's just it. There is no wiggle room in that because you as a parent have a pretty clear idea that, that what they want isn't what's best for them. And as a parent, you need to be able to feel empowered to do that without going straight to no or, well, I hope when you're older you listen to me. Um, and, and, and so that's incredibly important and, and super, super crucial for you to be able to build the skill to know when to hold firm with the, with the line of no means no and when to support your child in, uh, in advocating for their needs effectively and safely without yelling at you, without calling you names, without stomping or, or tuning you out. And that obviously requires a lot of finesse. It requires a lot of discrepancy and discretion from on your end that quite frankly, need, you need to be able to understand the personality trait and you need to be able to understand your child's perspective before they tell it to you in order to understand how and when to create the opportunity for your child to, to have that, that um, negotiation. You know, one thing that I teach our clients is, is actually you don't have to negotiate with your kid. This is a completely different paradigm. We're not talking about collaborative communication. We're also not talking about negotiation um, because your child needs to understand that your rules in your house are yours until you decide to shift them. But that doesn't mean that they don't get a voice. And, um, and, and that's really important because when a, when a highly sensitive child has engaged in this pattern of negotiation with their parents and the parents are engaging back in this pattern of, pattern of negotiation, it can really feel quite adversarial um, because usually you feel like you're either giving in and you're just waiting and seeing for your kid to fail so that you can then uh, go back to your own plan or um, you're, 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 you, you lose your power in this situation. And I'm not saying as a parent you need to be powerful, um, but you do need to feel like you're effective, right? So um, all that to say that the, that the important component about this, when you label your kid as disrespectful or you label your kid as strong-willed, is using any of those strategies that I just outlined today, actually keep your kid in their fixed personality and it takes away your power to influence your child. Now, you might be thinking next, Megan, wait a minute, you know, you're, 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 you're a coach for parents of highly sensitive kids. That's a personality trait. Yeah, but guess what? The behaviors associated with that personality trait are not fixed. And once you understand the personality trait, you get to separate the behaviors from the personality. And I've told, you know, you might've heard me say this before, but daily meltdowns, hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling and, and saying words that are, are totally ineffective and, and, and um, you know, where a child is calling names and, and um, you know, storming away and, and screaming, all of that is not part of the personality trait. Those are behaviors where your child is out of control. And those out of control behaviors are 
important for you to obviously highlight and shift and influence, but we can't be parenting our children from the definition of what their behaviors, um, you know, who they are based on their behaviors. We have to look at who they are outside of those behaviors. When you see strengths from your child, even if it's just once a week, you need to be able to see and highlight those strengths and notice, oh, that's actually my true kid and that behavior that behavior can be their pervasive personality. That behavior can be more relevant in, in their experience and in my experience. Now, the problem that we see, and we see this so often when, when parents come in to work with us, especially um, in our signature program, which is boot camp, is that parents see those, those, those lights of their children, the, the, the fantastic times when their children is, when their child is compassionate or flexible or acts on empathy, you know, sees uh, uh, their younger sibling and instead of screaming at them for bothering them, uh, they, they say, hey, come sit, snuggle in with me, right? And as a parent, the first component is having, when you have a strategy, is, is being able to trust the strategy and notice that because when we work with, the, with the, our clients, they, they have a hard time letting go of a belief that those are fluke behaviors. And guess what? Once you have a system, once you have a, a repeatable capacity to, to create and influence positive behavior from your child, that positive behavior no longer becomes a fluke. You get to start to anchor with not only the belief, but also the evidence of watching your kid do those same behaviors I just laid out over and over and over again and say, oh yeah, this is what it feels good. What, 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 what happens when my child feels good? This is who my kid gets to be. Think about it, right? If you're miserable, there's a whole saying around misery loves company for a reason, right? If you're miserable, one of your most frequent actions is to permeate that misery out of your body onto other people. And that permeation means that you're going to call people names, you're going to expect other people to let you down, you're going to expect other people to screw you over, you're going to expect other people to, um, to, to disagree with you, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> and when that happens, you're going to to um, to respond to people as if they're out to get you. And so you as an adult, if you're miserable, and, and especially if you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, um, it's likely that a fair amount of your time in your life is miserable, then you'll see challenge as more misery. And so you'll treat it just like that. You'll treat it with anger, you'll treat it with frustration, you'll, you'll treat it with, um, with, with your own uh, leveled behavior that one might label as, as disrespectful, and or you'll inhibit yourself. You'll hold it in and you'll tell yourself, I, I gotta get out of this conversation, I gotta get out of this situation so that I don't do something that I, that I regret. Um, but in reality, when you're having conversations with people who are here to help you, right? Um, and, and later on, you might be able to see that when you're out of your experience of, of feeling miserable, um, you regret that. You regret turning down support. You regret turning down, um, you know, options or conversations that might feel hard or or, or um, uh, challenging, right? But but challenging in a good way. Children who are miserable don't want to feel miserable. No one was put on this earth to be miserable. With that being said. When you're miserable on a daily basis, and, and you cannot tell me that your child feels doesn't feel miserable, if they're having a meltdown on a daily basis, they feel miserable. 
they feel miserable on a daily basis um, because that is not a choice, you know, a chosen behavior. Uh, that is that is not a, a willful behavior. Your child is not consciously making the decision to, to lose their mind. Um, just like you don't when you have a terrible, no good, very bad day, right? Um, but, you know, when your child's having terrible, no good, very bad days on a daily basis, that it, it is easy for a parent to assume this must be who they are. No, no, this is not who they are. Your child does not have to be like this and you do not have to label your kid as disrespectful or strong-willed in a way that, that puts them in a position to, um, to be fixed in that, in that set. And, and it's critically important that you, that you, that you work on that and we, we hold our, our clients accountable to that. It's, it's, it's um, you know, one of the, the quintessential components to breaking out of this pattern is not only understanding the highly sensitive personality trait, but it is, it is clearly being able to pinpoint your child's strengths and know how to grow them and know how to influence them so that they are more pervasive than their challenges. And, and that's really important because the piece around understanding your child from their strengths and labeling your child from their strengths uh, has to be, has to be uh, the, at your forefront, right? Just like when your child was learning how to walk, you did not tell them, oh, you're almost walking, sometimes you walk. No, you looked at them and said, you're walking. <laughs> Even when they toddled for two seconds and they fell on their butt, right? Why? Because you knew it was possible. Well, guess what? Just because you've been stuck in the meltdown cycle over and over and over again for the last 10 years or five years or, or even three years, you still need to hold that possibility in order for your child to grow into it. Otherwise, you're doing exactly what I just said. Oh, they didn't walk today, so I guess they're not a walker. I'm just going to pause right here and listen to yourself, right? You're doing the same thing. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Your kid cannot grow if your possibility is stagnant for them. And highly sensitive children change their behavior through their, through their relationship with their, with their parents. That is consistent in, in multiple researchers who focus on this field. It is consistent in the hundreds of families that we've served through this model and also the hundreds of families we've worked with through, through our private practice as well. And I say our, I mean um, mine, separate company than, than from this one. But when we think about being able to understand the difference between shifting the highly sensitive personality trait to think about possibility, that has to come first from you. And if you can't find that evidence, if you don't see your child um, behaving in a way that you want them to, in a way that you see is consistent, then you need to think outside the box. You need to look for that evidence in pockets of places where that actually exists. So. You're not going to find that in, in Facebook groups where people are just venting every day. You're not going to find that in your neighborhood where you, you might be one out of, out of uh, 10 and, you, and none of them are highly sensitive or the parents don't understand their kids highly sensitive. So they're doing the same thing you're doing, right? You're not going to find that in comparing um, your highly sensitive child to a child with developmental delays or or other significant needs and saying, well, at least my kid isn't struggling in these certain ways, right? Um, and you're certainly not gonna find it if you just compare your kid to a non-highly sensitive child because they are two different personality sets and it's incredibly important to understand that not the non-highly sensitive children can build their own skills without direct explicit instruction from their parents. And so, the, the opposite of that is really important because if you're looking for support from your, from your child and you are not the one providing those direct specific skill instructions, 
then you will continue to struggle and you will continue to blame your kid for the problem that you are actually trying to solve with an ineffective solution. And so you've heard me say this before and I'm gonna say it again, what works? What works? You. You are the change agent for your highly sensitive child. You are the one who shifts your child out of that behavior. You are the one who influences their behavior, even if right now they tell you to piss off, pardon my French, um, on a daily basis. You are still the one that has to work with your child to influence and change their behavior. Okay? There's no way around it. Highly sensitive children do not change pervasively if their parents don't change pervasively. So that is incredibly important for you to understand and for you to start to take action around. Now, what happens? What, how do you change that? How do you shift out of this, right? You have to do it from a play-based perspective. This can't just be sensory stuff. You can't just be focusing on the sensory components and, and playfully communicating with your child. You might be working on this in a sensory standpoint, help your kid adjust to noise, help your kid adjust to their genes, right? Um, but that's not, the, that's not sensitive to subtleties. Your kid needs to be able to handle twitches of eyebrows. Your kid needs to be able to handle a, a stern voice and, uh, and to know what to do about that, not just suck it up and hold it in until they explode with you at home. Um, and we're not asking for your child to be per perfect. We're not asking for your child um, to always say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and, 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 and put up and shut up. We're asking for your child to say, hey, I actually don't like the way you're talking to me right now. I, I know this works for me instead. And... Um, and, and here's what I need from you next. And guys, I can tell you that one of our alumni who, who went through boot camp just last, uh, no, September of, I do my math right, where's my brain? Just September 2019, okay? Just a while ago. This child significantly struggling, not able to leave the house. Parents couldn't take them to a science museum without, um, you know, without a massive meltdown that was just simply something they had to turn around. And, and kiddo was, was struggling with following through on any, any directives at home, not able to, to, and then would panic, you know, perfectionism set in, panic about not getting homework done on time, and then we'll go straight into, it's your fault, okay? All the sorts of behaviors that we're talking about here. And this parent just celebrated, which is, is not new news um, for, for this family, but just celebrated, again, a circumstance where their kiddo advocated, hey, teacher, I actually don't like the way you talked to me in this circumstance. The way that you called me out for X, Y, Z when I was asking for help didn't work. Here's what I need from you instead. And this was unprompted by the parent. He didn't come home and complain to his parent and say, woe is me, and then need tons of coaching from parents on how to do this. He just initiated a conversation with an adult when he realized that adult, uh, what that adult was, was how that adult was speaking to him wasn't helpful. And this is critically important because when we think about highly sensitive kids who are engaging in that fight-based behavior, it is really, really important that you see that as your child being overwhelmed, overstimulated, stressed out, not as a jerk or you know disrespectful, right? Because uh, just like that kiddo, your child has the capacity to see how adults can communicate, collaborate, and, and respond in a way that they feel heard and understood, and then start to expect that from other people, but also model the same behavior back to those other people in order to get their needs met. And that is a completely, and, that, and they can do that consistently. Like I said, this family went through, um, through, through boot camp in 2019, 
it is it is 2022 now um, so I'm not talking about just having quick wins and then calling it a fluke again right I'm talking about two and a half years later this child is a different child okay um, and, and that's because parents did the work and they stayed consistent because they figured out what works with parenting highly sensitive kids. And so there was no going back to the traditional parenting or, or to, um, to the aggravation that was constant in their household. And, um, and, and so this kiddo is now able to freely follow through on, on what works for him and ask for it. And he doesn't need his mom to, to fight his battles for him. Um, and, and that is critically important for you to understand that possibility is true and available for you. Um, and it, and it, it simply, and like I said, um, this is not the first win where advocacy was celebrated for this kiddo. Um, Self-advocacy was celebrated. Uh, it just happened to happen today as I'm recording this video so, and this, this show. So, um, you know, so you get it, it's top of mind. It doesn't take two and a half years. Um, no, this child was able to uh, to communicate his needs considerably differently, um, just in in the eight weeks that we that we directly worked uh, pointedly together with with this family, um, and yet you know because the community that we built uh, supports parents consistently, we get to see wins. Um, you know, two and a half years later, we still we still hear from the families that we work with consistently um, that they are they are doing um, what works, and uh, they still they still see those um, those celebrations. So phenomenal, love it. Um, that's what's possible for you. That is what's possible for you and for your family. And um, it's incredibly important for you to to observe that that play and that communication. Uh, around emotions and subtle communication style and subtle communication advocacy um, is something that your highly sensitive child needs to build skill around and um, isn't something they are just choosing to ignore, okay? Um, and, and that's how a highly sensitive child generalizes their skill outside of the home um, and shows, shows that that um, and, and does it more rapidly. Highly sensitive children actually perform better than their peers um, in, a, in a multitude of, of avenues to include even physical health. Uh, one of Lewis's research focuses on um, upper respiratory disease in highly sensitive children, highly sensitive adults, and studying that the shift in parenting and relationship can actually improve children's physical health. So um, you, might, you might notice your child has some other significant needs those shifts actually don't need to be targeted as your child's first priority when you address the emotional health of your child then the physical health also improves this is a pervasive experience a highly sensitive trait when the body is stressed and the immune system is stressed um, then the immune system performs less and uh, and so that's probably a topic for another day but what we'll talk about today really is is, is understanding the the concept of, of noticing that your child is a, a light a gift in the world and um, and you can't you can't shift their behavior by stifling them you have to give them strategic um, you have to give them strategic feedback in a way that doesn't shame them doesn't make them feel like a bad kid um, because if you think your kids, you know, if you parent your kid with, with, the, with the lecture that they're a bad kid, um, even if you're not saying those words, that's the experience they're having in their head, then what do they do? They think they're a bad kid and they keep behaving like a bad kid, right? Um, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's been, you know, there, that's a thing for a reason in psychology. You've heard it before. It's, it's, it's now um, pervasive in our language, in the English language. So um, it, 
that's the experience that we help you break out of. Your child needs to be able to believe in themselves in order to to notice that they can be creative in their problem-solving skills. And creativity is incredibly important when you think about collaborative communication. Um, all right, so here's where we're at. What, what do you need to be able to do next? You need to have a conversation with our team. There's no other system out there that's going to be able to support you in breaking out of this pattern consistently, pervasively, and from a standpoint of impacting the entire family dynamic. I've been working in this field for over 10 years, and we have several professionals in, the, in our uh, field with the same number of years of experience, and um, as well as personal experience in noticing how, how this impacts not only our immediate families, but also our extended families. And uh, it's important to understand that, uh, that, that the, the shift out of this pattern um, is often, uh, there's often many points that are missed to this puzzle um, when, when you're not focused on, on, on fixing the entire issue. And I, what's really important is that we're not looking at fixing your kid. Your kid's not broken. So we're happy to have a conversation about whether or not what we do is going to work with your particular family. And the only way we know how to do that, and the, because it's the only way that works, is by actually having a conversation with you. We're going to talk to you. You'll, you'll book a call with our team, and uh, we'll cover where you're stuck. We'll have a clear picture and, and get clarity on where you want to go, what your, what your dreams are, what your goals are for your family, and then whether or not what we do is going to help you get there. If that'll bridge the gap, then we'll tell you exactly how that works, and you can make that decision and, uh, and start getting, getting ready to fix it right away. Otherwise, if there's something that's more effective or a more efficient solution, because perhaps the reason why your child's melting down or struggling in this moment is, isn't because of their personality trait, isn't because you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, um, then we would we obviously send you a, in a different direction with a clear plan. You understand what, what professionals to vet, um, how to vet them, uh, where, you know, we have other specialties here in our, in our profession um, at MTC um, in the sense that we have a wide variety of professional experience prior to specializing in the highly sensitive personality trait. So we know what works with, with other issues. Say, for example, your child has experienced significant trauma. Um, we obviously we would have that conversation and, and get, get you the clarity of what you need, what's going to actually work um, to, to shift out of that behavior pattern that, that can look like the personality trait stuck in a meltdown cycle too. Um, and so we have that conversation. We get a clear picture of where you're struggling, what's actually causing it, What's leading to the problem? We, are, we as, as a team, we assess that with you. Um, and then we share with you how to break out of the pattern, whether that's with us or, or, or without. That conversation is completely free. You get that opportunity and uh, to, to break out of the pattern that you have. And uh, there's a lot of clarity on that conversation. We're happy to, happy to share that with you. So uh, how do you do that? You go to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk. And uh, we'll have a conversation there. Uh, if, you're, if you're parenting a teen, then we would have a conversation with you and your teen. And that conversation would be at, uh, you'd book that one at meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash teen talk. And, um, and, and your teen will get a say and also uh, be able to participate in their own growth um, in, in that conversation. So happy to have those with you. We look forward to speaking with you soon. And we'll talk to you on the next show. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. 
We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.